and I walked in the door and they all kind of looked at me funny and said, then I said, I'm here for the appointment with so-and-so. And they said, there was this deep silence. I said, oh, you thought I would look a lot different, didn't you? Welcome to Fails, Falls, and Fuck-Ups, the show that it's going to take the scars of other people and let you learn from them. We are joined by Gail McGregor. She is an award-winning singer, songwriter, music supervisor, and educator, and she's going to school me on mistakes she's made in her life. Gail, thank you for joining me. You could have been doing anything else, but you're doing me. I put that the wrong way. Yeah, I could have been sleeping. (laughs) You could have been sleeping. Yes. So I like to dive right in. In your long storied career that has spanned everything from Dick Dell to The Ugly Duckling to a award-winning web series while in lockdown to being stuck here with me. What would you say, aside from being stuck <laughs> here with me, has been the biggest mistake you've made in your career? Talk to me. Ooh, um... Not going after what I really wanted and going after things uh, because somebody else was pushing me into it. Ooh, give me an example of that, because that sounds terrible. Um, I had a three-girl group, and we did everything from 1920s music to the then-current music of the 80s. We prided ourselves in being able to do all of the various different things. And uh, so we got a lot of jobs that way. We sang backup for other people. We uh, had our own show. Did you have a name? Uh, it was called We Three, as in O U I Three. I didn't name it. <laughs> <laughs> I take no responsibility. So you were basically Oi Three. Oi Three. That's what I called us. <laughs> and um, a fellow saw us, an older gentleman who was a manager, and he had managed some rather hefty people. And he said, "I'd like to manage you." I went, "Okay. What is it? To, you know, where do you see us going?" And he goes, well, I'd like you to, I'd like to focus on that Andrew sister kind of sound that you have, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's something that, you know, I think we can really sell and bring back and everything. And I'm thinking, hmm, maybe not. I don't know. The other girls were really hot to do it. Oh, a manager, a manager. And they didn't know anything about the legalities in California. And in California, a manager is not allowed to procure their client employment. That's true. It is grounds for nullifying your agreement. So I thought, well. Okay, I'll I'll go along with this for a little bit, but it was a big mistake because he was pushing us toward that uh, something exclusively instead of allowing us to find our own voice, so to speak, and start doing our own original original material. So it went on and on, and we did a bunch of gigs, and even one of the surviving Andrews sisters came to hear us and thought we were fabulous and all of that happy nonsense. And I said, you know, we got to get out of this. So I finagled it. So he got us a job. And then after we did that job, you know, because he was the one who did it and did the contracts and everything like that. After that, I sent him a 30 day notice that um, he had violated the terms of the agreement and we were gone. But we wasted a lot of time. Did that experience damage the actual dynamic of the three girl group? No, one of the girls in the group (laughs) was the one who did that spill the tea yeah she wasn't as proficient as one of the other girls and myself uh, in performance she was really good in the studio but on stage she was stilted and 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 such 
And so she was always trying to get us to pull back instead of her pushing forward. And it was causing friction. And so finally, circumstances uh, were such that I went off on a tour overseas. The other girl stayed here. And, um, and then when I came back, um, she was out of the picture. And I had a very long, long relationship with the other girl. We, we sang and wrote together. And um, we started being everybody and their dogs backup uh, girls. So not really a independent kind of putting your out there, your own music band, which you had originally meant to do. Right. But you just kind of rolled that into being session and support. And, and a lot of live work and, and such. And along the way, we were put on retainer by a, a group that was managed by Billy Gaff and um, could have had a deal, but he asked for too much. And by the time that their management deal died, uh, so did the interest. So, but uh, I worked with a lot of different people, good and bad and really horrible. And Was there a steep learning curve on the business side for you? How did, how did you develop the business sense? Cause I have none. Like I'm basically like a <laughs> five-year-old when I get money, I'm like, Ooh, I wanted to buy a toy. Um, and unfortunately <laughs> even at my age, it's literally a toy. I have problems, but that's not your problem right now. Okay. Um, actually I got a job in the seventies at CBS and I worked in the business affairs department and I dealt with cataloging contracts. And I, so I started reading them and, uh, started looking at, you know, what was done for the talent, how they, how they were done. I took a look at a lot of the music contracts, you know, for, uh, things, saw licensing agreements and such. So I started educating myself on that. And during the course of that, one of the attorneys there was working with Mark Halloran, another attorney with the Beverly Hills Bar Association, and they were doing a symposium for artists and uh, lawyers so that you could, you know, learn how not to make all the mistakes that Flo and Eddie made <laughs> and uh, from the turtles. And they they have they have the best they have the best everything got screwed up and and life sucked uh, stories in the industry. But um, they asked me to be on the panel uh, so that they would have the artist uh, viewpoint. And in the course of that, I started learning a lot about the actual contracts and everything like that. So that when I started licensing my own music and when I started doing other things, it wasn't a mystery to me. And I could actually speak to uh, the legal points. So you, you were uniquely positioned that when you went out there as an artist yourself, you were able to protect yourself because you were able to see the the cons coming. Yes, yes, but you can't you can't, you you can't you can't sniff out all of them. <laughs> That's true. What is the worst one you got caught in? What was something that took you totally by surprise that you, on retrospect, were like, "Oh God, I should have seen that coming before it hit me in the face." Getting locked out of our hotel rooms in the middle of Foxborough when we were at Foxborough Stadium appears that the um, road manager decided to take a hike and hadn't paid the hotel bill. And we were at the Foxborough Stadium doing our part of the show and waiting around watching the rest of it when we get a call saying that all of our stuff was in plastic bags. We could pick it up at the hotel. So it took a lot of fancy talking and such like that, but we should have known something was up. It was a little... Sh even though it was a kind of a famous... You're free to curse, by the way. Just feel free to like <laughs> rail when you want to. It was, it was a famous uh, artist 
who actress who also sang. She was wonderful. It was a lot of fun to work with her. But the people around her were not exactly ones that I would have trusted with my wallet. And uh, so I was kind of keeping an eye on things. And I went, eh, I'm not surprised, but it's, it sucks. Did the road manager like take the box office receipts and run? That's a very, very old school professional wrestling thing there. Yeah, I I never got the full story. I just got that her manager went and paid the bill. But, you know, luckily, I always made sure that I had a round trip ticket in my hand before I went on any tour because I had friends who had gotten stranded, though, like in Japan <laughs> and uh, had no way back uh, because and didn't speak the language. Mm -hmm. So I I never went on a tour that I didn't have a return ticket in my hand. That's smart. You know, I, normally I wait till the end to ask this, but considering young artists that might be out there, what would be a prime piece of advice that you could give them to protect how to protect themselves as they're starting out, as they're trying to move forward? Because just like most business endeavors that ha have an artistic aspect to them, most people are focused on the artistry. I want to make music. I want to make films. I want to make my cartoons they're not focused on the business side because that's not how their brain works. So they get screwed often. Yeah. And part of that is because they forget that this is the music business. It is a business. You can be as creative as you want to be, but if you, if you neglect the business part of it, then you're going to get screwed. If you don't know the lingo, you don't know how to talk to the people who are hiring you. When you see a term in a contract and you don't understand it, you better educate yourself. And right. And when I started, there wasn't a lot of information out there. We didn't have the internet to go fly into and get all sorts of information or misinformation, which way you want to look at it. But um, we had to go to the libraries and nobody was writing books about about this stuff that, you know, they didn't prepare you in college that when you went to do dinner theater, you were going to have to be moving the ground rows on stage and changing your clothes in front of the bartender because the dressing room was too far away from the stage. So they never tell you about the practical stuff. They always have, they focus on the creative and everything. Now some of the schools are starting to deal with the aspect of, of uh, theater business and music business and teaching people about contracts and venues and all of the different things they can do to protect themselves. But there is a wealth of information out there. And it's just a matter at, at, at this point, it's a matter of laziness and willful ignorance because the information is readily available for free. And if you want real, real in-depth, it's there and you have to invest in your own career. You can't expect everybody to do everything for you for free because that's what got us into trouble in this industry in the first place. The, uh, the aspect of the, um, the philosophy that music should be free. Well, I'm sorry, if you pay the caterers, you can afford to pay me. Ah, yes, never pay the artists. That's, that's music, that's acting, that's everything. Mm -hmm. Money for everything, just not the actual person doing the performance. Right. That's a whole different, that's a whole different discussion. <laughs> that's a whole different, like, pound of blood to be bled. Ah. Uh, yes. Have you had an experience since a lot of what you've done for a majority of your career is you've been in the, the backup singer, the support role. Did you find yourself in positions where your performance was maybe just a little bit too good that you're singing just a little bit too well for the circumstance? 
I learned early on to pull back. When I was singing backup for somebody, I didn't let go. The only time I actually really let go was when I was in that three-girl group and we were singing with Dick, the girl who had trouble with her movement and, and such like that. When you say Dick, Dick Dale. Yeah. So he had his, um, you know, huge fans who would like bow down to him at the, on the stage and such. And this gal was saying, well, you know, a dick doesn't want us to be that outgoing. I said, that's all he wants. He points at us during the course of the thing and says, sing, you know, because he would he would do a lick on the guitar and then he'd point to somebody in the band and you had to answer and up him. So she kept on saying, well, you're just trying to upstage everybody and, and such. And I went, OK, today she's going tonight. She's going to learn a lesson. So I finagled it. So I was the last person that he called on. And I went from the bottom of my register to the top of the register, met him, topped him. By the time we were done, because he kept going back and forth, he was down on his knees, kissing my hand. And his guys that did this to him were doing that to me. And then after I finished that and I said, that's upstaging. And it was kind of like a little object lesson. It's easy to 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 try to let go, but you have to understand your position when you're in. Because I don't think there was, I think maybe there was one artist that I backed up that was equal in in terms of of ability as a singer. Everybody else I could outsing, but my place wasn't to outsing them. You said you hold back, mm -hmm. but were these artists unaware of your ability because you were holding back, or did you have artists that were just sort of side eyeing you? Um. Interestingly enough, because of building a rapport with them and letting them know that I was not a threat to them being the front person, they usually let me go, you know, especially when I was the only backup singer instead of being part of a group backup singer. I was allowed to do a little bit more. I don't think I ever had a situation where the, the main artist was worried about the rest of us who were singing. Because before we would work with someone, I would remind the girls in the group, remember, okay, she doesn't have this strength in this register, so let's, you know, beef it up here. And, you know, we'd go over how far we could go with them. So it was a very studied thing so that we didn't end up in that situation because we always wanted to be rehired. And so once we had worked with somebody and they got the, the results that they wanted, then uh, we would get rehired and they didn't consider us a threat because we came in as a unit and we were just another side person. We were part of the band and they were the upfront. Was there stuff you saw on tours or during shows or in, in, the, in the vicinity of it going on, not in the actual performances? That made you feel uncomfortable, uneasing that you had to deal with just, yes. especially being a female in the fifties, not enough, not the fifties. I'm sorry. You were active. You're still active. I don't mean that you aren't active, but when did you get your start? Exactly. Again, I don't actually read anything. So, <laughs> um, uh, um, let's see. It would have been in the 70s because my first professional job was actually playing the cello for a TV program. And then my touring and other live shows started in around 77. Cool. So definitely at the time frame where somebody would call you toots and pinch your ass. And that would be the polite person. Uh, one of them got decked because he came from behind. Awesome. 
because um, I had been jumped when I was uh, a teenager and um, got out of that because I was a former competitive ice skater and I was really strong and my legs kicked where they needed to kick and I got away. So anybody reproaching me from behind, it was just, you startled me and you could get decked. And um, he did. You know, he came back, he grabbed my ass, I turned around and I punched him and then kneed him and he ended up on the ground. And he said, what the hell did you do that for? And I said, no touch. And he went, well, God, you didn't have to do that. Didn't have to, but wanted to. Yes. <laughs> so it, it, was, it wasn't like I had, had an, anticipated doing that. It was just an instinct, you know, because once that happens to you, somebody coming up from behind is perceived as a threat. So Yes. But yeah, there was a lot of, honey, get me this. And because in between the tours that I did, I worked as a temp in all different industries. And at that time, it was get me coffee and honey and everything like that. You kind of sucked up a certain amount of it. But anytime somebody got handsy, they got stopped short. But that's because I am very much my mother's daughter. And you put the Scott and the Italian side together in the same person. Yeah, don't fuck with them. True. And then there's also that very like passive Irish side that just tranquil. (laughs) That's quiet, quiet girl. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So there were, there were times, interestingly enough, it persisted into the 90s because I was actually doing the music supervision on a project that the music supervisor was the supervisor in name only. He didn't see the film until we actually screened it. You did the work to put it under his name. Correct. I did a lot of those mm-hmm. there. When he was meeting with the rather famous director, he didn't want me to go with him. I found out later when he took the guy in the office who wasn't really working on that project and they went to this meeting and such that he didn't want me there because A, I was female, B, because I'm fat, and C, because I knew more than he did about the music that was being used in the project. So that happens today. It still persists. There's less of the, uh, it's not that there's less of the grabbing, but there are now consequences for it in many situations. One of the things that um, I say to the, 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 the girls and the women that I mentor is that you do not have to take any of this. And if you lose a job because of it, you weren't supposed to do that job. And, but you can go out and say, you know what? The reason I didn't work for this guy was because he told me that I wasn't going to get anything um, uh, in terms of a raise or anything like that, and unless he got something. You don't get anything unless you give stuff. Yes. Wink, wink. Wink, wink. But yeah, it was very prevalent, and most people didn't speak out about it. I was doing a gig at the, the old Holiday Inn in Hollywood. They had a revolving restaurant called Oscar's. And I was in a band there and um, a guy came up to me and said, you know, I'd like you to um, work the polo lounge for me. And I said, we have a gig here. No, no. He said, no, no. I mean you. I said, for what? And he said, well, I have my girls. I went, wait a minute. (laughs) Wait, just, just, just wait. He was trying to recruit me to be one of the hookers, the high priced hookers at the polo lounge that he managed. No, it didn't get very far. But that kind of stuff happened a lot. 
I'm sure it was a reasonable agency fee. <gasps> How often did you find your career butting up against this vile misogyny? Uh, pretty much every day. Every gig. There was one group that, that we were on retainer with. They were called Blinding Tears. They had a record out in, in uh, England. And um, Mark Colley, I don't know if you know Mark, he um, was the leader of that group. And he's, he's, um, he's made his living as a songwriter uh, for decades. But at the time, it was his band and he was writing most of the stuff. And that was the only time that we didn't have to deal with that. They were such great guys, he and the lead singer, Carl. They were so upfront, clean cut, Indiana boys, you know, just absolutely, it was a wonderful experience. And Dick, Dick Dale was great with us and everything, um, but he was that old school, hey, honey, kind of thing. And he meant nothing by it, and it was okay. You know, it was just he was a product of his time. Great vocals, Toots. It was a wonderful show tonight. Yeah. Uh, hey, hey, my girls, my girls. But he never touched us. He never, you know, there was never any of that bullshit. It was always an appreciative, but a little old school, almost Frank Sinatra-ish, uh, hey, what a nice right. broad kind of thing. But... But yeah, every day. And and still, we get it. It's telling that in enlisting how often you had to fight it, you pulled out two instances where you didn't really have to. That that's how you you defined it by the amount of times that it didn't happen. So that's two. Yeah. So, and you got, you got to figure that's, you know, like decades of work. You had mentioned your weight, which is, um, I don't know if you know this, my other podcast is called The Fittest Fat Kid You Know, because I... I'm up and down my entire life. How much was your weight a factor and something that was either used to exclude you or to um, diminish you? Well, because people think fat and ugly is one word, and it's not. The word fat is not a pejorative under itself. It's the intent behind the use of the word. Most people who are larger have um, kind of started to reclaim it, saying, I'm fat, so what? In fact, uh, Marilyn Wan wrote this great book called Fat, so it's, it was detrimental in certain instances, one of them being that it was okay as a backup singer to be big, but I found that I had more trouble in sounding the way I do by not being black rather than being fat because we lost a number of jobs that they listened to our tape went wow we really really want you to do this and these were a couple of really big jobs and it was um oh after that we sent them the picture oh wait a minute we thought you were black chick we need black chick and um we didn't get to the part of me being fat you know and uh but it 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 wasn't as much it wasn't a big thing because you were the background. Now, when I was doing dinner theater, I had to fight to get a couple of the roles because um, they wanted me to play the old lady. You know, as I spent my time in theater playing old lady, nuns, and hookers. You know, those were the three <laughs> roles that the fat chicks got. Right. No matter how good your voice was, no matter you could sing the, uh, the shit out of the ingenue, but no, no, you were fat. You couldn't do that. So there, those roles never went to me. 
um, until I did this one dinner theater production we did on the town. And I said, I don't, I'm not playing the drunk music teacher. If you want me in this show, I'm going to be playing Hildy, the taxi driver. And they went, all right, we'll sing the song. So I did. And they went, oh, okay, you can do it. And the director was great. It was the first time that I actually had been cast in a role that normally went to somebody who was um, thin. And he just took a chance and it turned out to be a, a good one on his part. And I did several other shows for them. You know, it's it's a thing. You know, people people equate that. But I did get me a job one time uh, because of that, because the girl who was doing the show, um, a major artist, wanted somebody who was a redhead. But she didn't want anybody too pretty. And to her, not pretty was fat. So I'm redhead and a big girl. I got the job. And I made a lot of money off of that gig. <laughs> you know. But it's it's the it it worked both ways. You know, most of the time it was no, you can't do this because you're fat. And then it's like, well, you can do this because you're fat and I think that fat people are ugly. Hey, look, you got a good voice. We know that. But it, we're but. looking for somebody who is like, let's call them Hollywood ugly. We think, which is, <laughs> you know, we're talking like a Minnesota seven, make a Hollywood 4.5. We like you for that. How do you feel about that? Can I say, fuck you? Thank you for the job. <laughs> I didn't get a record contract with, with um, well, I'm not going to mention the, the name um, because I did a songwriter's demo. And I walked in the door for the appointment because they weren't really interested in the song. They wanted to know who the singer was because they wanted to sign them. And I walked in the door and they all kind of looked at me funny and said, and I said, I'm here for the appointment with so-and-so. And they said, there was this deep silence. I said, oh, you thought I would look a lot different, didn't you? And they said, uh, yeah. And I said, and you're not signing any people who look like me. And she said, uh, no. So I said, okay, well, let's not waste anybody's time. And thank you very much. I'm glad you like my voice. If you ever need me to come in to do some sessions, let me know. And I did. You handled that better than most people would have been able to, I got to say. We got it all the time, though, because this was the days when you didn't have to, when you sent in your cassette tape. And you didn't necessarily have to send in a photograph. They just wanted you to record or they wanted you, if they wanted you for live work, then you sent them, you know, you sent them the picture or you met in person and, and such. So we got used to it. So I just started at that point. I said, look, since people are always confusing the issue, I said, we've got to get some shots done. So we got some shots done and we sent the pictures along with it because I was tired of, of, you know, uh, going through the motion wasting your time and wasting time for everybody so were you ever cnc music factory did you ever sing on something and then see a video or some kind where they have like some slip of an ingenue out there yes lip syncing your parts and going like ah there's my voice yeah i did it um it was for um a soda commercial and they had let's see one of them there was a girl in a purple dress high kicking and dancing around and twirling and swirling her skirt. And, and I was singing the jingle. That must be surreal. But not like, but not like Martha had with them just basically stealing her voice. And that happened to her several times. And she yeah. really was, she was such a 
this her, oh my god her voice is kick-ass since we're coming up against the time that i must run and take my talk to the vet because i'm professional and i schedule these things properly i want to ask you to once again share some slice of wisdom just about life in regards to successes and failures and mindset and how to overcome things or just or just whatever's on your mind share <laughs> share, share with my listeners a slice of your mind it's never too late you're not too old in 2009 i almost died i was in a coma for nine days had to relearn how to walk after being in the hospital for six weeks so you just drop that at the end that like you just casually at the end going like, yeah, I nearly died. It's no big deal. Yeah. That's why I'm writing a second book because I kind of dropped it in the first one and people were going, what? Anyway, during that time, as, as I was rehabbing, I finished writing a book and published it and finished my solo CD that was over 20 years in the making. And um, so over the age of 60, I had my first solo CD and my first published book. So you're not too old. It's not too late. And don't let your age, whether it be somebody saying you're too young or too old or too fat, too thin, too tall, too short, whatever, too ethnic, not ethnic enough, whatever that is, forget about it. Do what you want to do. And yes, you have to put food on the table and you have to make sacrifices and everything like that. But if if, um, you know, if I can recover from something like that and still keep going, you know, I can't run upstairs anymore. I have to take them very slowly. But um, I figure that every day I'm vertical is a good day. You know, people just need to stop putting the limitations on yourself. There are enough people out there who will try to put them on you. And if they try to put those on you, take off the shackles and say, you know what, I don't have to to agree with that. Um, there's a great book called The Four Agreements that you make with yourself. And if you follow these, you know, take, take a look at it. Don Miguel uh, Ruiz, it's called The Four Agreements. It's a tiny little book. And one of them is always do your best. That's the fourth agreement. And know that your best is going to change from day to day and sometimes moment to moment. And if you do your best at that given moment with the tools that you have at hand, you don't have anything to beat yourself up about. You can say, hey, I did my best. My best really sucked that day, but I did my best that I could on that day that I had a cold or I had the flu or whatever. And, um, you know, do your best and be honest. You know, be honest with yourself. The first agreement is be impeccable with your word. Don't take any and then don't take anything personally. <laughs> you know, that's a hard one. Just remember that, you know, people out there have their opinions and those opinions are based on their own experiences. And they have nothing to do with you. They have absolutely nothing to do with you. And if you can learn to just say, that's their stuff. It's not mine. It's a little easier to, to get through the day and get through um, your career. You know, let it go. Let's let it go. I think they wrote a song about that. Yep. Mom always used to say, you know, uh, just uh, like water off a duck's back. And be true to yourself. Be true to yourself. Don't get pigeonholed. I sing everything from opera to screaming rock. And when I feel like, I mean, I have one engineer who calls the operatic voice my Bambi voice. And so when he calls me in to do a session, I said, okay, am I the big um, blues mama today or am I uh, the Bambi voice? You know, 
Oh, we're going to have you be country today. Okay. <laughs> and now for something completely different. Well, Gail, when people, where can people, you take this moment to shamelessly plug yourself. Where can people find you? Where can people track you down? Where can people get on their knees and do the Dick Dale bowing to you? Where can people <laughs> do this? Um, I have two different, um, well, actually, three. I have several websites. One's for my book, and that's called, it's gailmcgregorauthor.com. And gailmcgregor.com is my music. And Mac Music Magic is my music supervision and uh, educating. So I'm writing a series of children's books. I have a book on Amazon now called Don't Look Now. It is available in softcover, but I'm working on a revised and updated um, Kindle version with photographs and such. So that's in the offing. And then I'm working on uh, completing a couple of other books, one of them being an answer to all the people who read the first one going, what happened? Yes, what happened? And it's, <laughs> it's what happened, how I got through it, and the things that the... You know, just basically the, the, the things that kept me going and how I got through rehabbing and the stuff that goes along with it. And at some point, I'll have to have you back on just to find out what happened because you dropped that at the very end. <laughs> anyway, Gail, thank you so much. You are wonderful. You are delightful. And you put up with me and that's all that matters to me. So thank you so much for being here. <laughs> thank you. And, you know, thank you for what you're doing because um, I like the fact that, that um you're looking at things with a little bit of a jaundiced eye, but uh, in a humorous way. And it's a medical condition. Yeah. And, and, it, and it really helps the people in the, you know, who are out there thinking that everything has to be perfect. You know, some of the best, the, the best tour I ever did was because the two other two girls that I had been working with decided it wasn't the right career move. And in six weeks, I had to find new girls, uh, get them their passports and visas. And get them on there. And as it turned out, it was the best thing that could have happened because they were a hundred times better on the stage than the other two girls that I had had been working with. So it, you know, it was it was going to be a disaster, and I was going to be losing out on a huge paycheck. As it turned out, I didn't, and made friends for life. So you know, it all works out. Ah, there she goes, still kicking and still singing with a voice so powerful it can fuel a Category Five hurricane. Now, is there a question that you feel I should have asked Gail? If so, drop it in the comments, and I'm sure she'll belt out an answer to you. Speaking of being full of hot air, follow me on all the socials. You can find me at Bruce Naxon and also at Fails, Falls, and F-Ups on Instagram. Now, next week, we talk to music producer Dale Penter, and he will explain exactly how being a music producer is not so different than wrangling a bunch of drunk, angry cats. Yeah, it, def it definitely happened. And it would usually be, you know, a party in the lounge upstairs from the studio that would spill over into the control room.